0: Restaurants Unstoppable, Episode Six Hundred and Twenty Seven with Jed Davis.
1: Uh, don't ever let anybody outwork you to see what quality looks like. There's no substitute for that in this business, and it's not something that you're going to find in every community in the country. You may not want to ultimately live in the fine dining world, and that's fine, of course. But it's it's an interesting peek to get a look at. <laughs>
0: I'm sure you've heard of Rebel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Rebel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Rebel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystemscom slash Here is a statistic for you. 89% bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to one thousand five hundred dollars on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Jed Davis. My man Jed, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: Uh sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. All
0: right. So seventh generation Vermonter Jed Davis graduated from Cornell university with a focus on hotel administration. His Formative years were spent in New York City learning from masters, restaurateurs, Daniel Belude and Danny Meyer before returning to Revont to raise a family with his wife, a former Union Square Cafe maitre d' Noelle Davis. In 2010, with the help of three partners and approximately 20 investors, Davis founded Farmhouse Tap and Grill. The restaurant didn't take long to evolve into the Farmhouse Group, which today consists of five unique concepts in seven locations with the addition of el corjito i didn't say that right cortijo. To- cortijo, cortijo thank you taqueria and cantina uh guild tavern pascolo restaurante and bliss b the restaurant group also operates some catering operations can't wait to get into that uh so obviously we're just scraping the surface i cannot wait to tap into your story but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us
1: uh, if the only thing separating you from success is effort then you have absolutely no excuse.
0: Ooh, dive into it. D- uh, How does it resonate with you? The restaurant
1: business is a daily uh, occurrence. Uh it requires it, it it's not a complicated business. It's not rocket science, but uh it is a lot of work uh and it and it and it requires a certain finesse and a certain attention. Um it it's uh it's sort of like turning a faucet on that just never shuts off it's constantly moving and yeah you just have to be involved in it
0: awesome great way to get this thing started so where does it make sense for you to start your story I saw something about a soccer situation that didn't work out which sent you on a different oh, path I or did your research a little bit
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure yeah uh, I was a pretty good pretty good soccer player early on in my life um, and went to Ithaca College and was was kind of on the team And then they had, uh, oh, I got to get this right. They had uh, open tryouts. You know, you were recruited to play. And then they had open tryouts. And I remember asking some of the seniors on the team, like, what is that, open tryouts? And they said, you know, don't worry about it. Nobody ever makes it. And these two kids uh, from Peru, uh, Guillermo and I can't remember the other guy's name, walked on, and they were so good. (laughs) Like, they could play. And uh, me and another guy got booted. Which was fine, but I did did pretty well. I, I was never a natural student at all, but I was always very active and got very good grades at Ithaca. And uh, you can see the Cornell University clock tower from the Ithaca College campus. And I figured I might as well transfer to there if I have the grades, and they had a good hotel restaurant program. So.
0: so when you were at Ithaca college, uh, did you know that you wanted to get into food and beverage hospitality or I, I, I was there just sort
1: of intro business classes and okay. knew that that was a path that would lead me somewhere.
0: So but... you went to Cornell with some type of intention because you enrolled yes, immediately into the hotel definitely. administration. Yeah. So why hotels, why restaurant? What What was influencing you to go in this direction?
1: It's what I grew up doing. You know, it was it was my jobs all through high school. Uh, I enjoyed the work and thought it could be a good future for me.
0: Get into why you enjoyed the work. What was it about the industry that drew you to it?
1: Uh, fast-paced. Um, you put your head down and eight hours goes by very, very quickly. Uh, and enjoyed food, too. I didn't really grow up in a house with a lot of uh, fine cuisine by any means. Uh, we grew up in Sudbury, Vermont, population. 500 or something um but when i started to see that kind of world it it grabbed me and i became interested in it
0: okay so you're at cornell any key mentors any people that really influenced you and left an imprint during that time yeah that's worth diving into
1: yeah giuseppe Pizzotti uh was a professor there still is i believe italian guy great guy um it was hard for me i mean i was at again i when you when you come from Sudbury, I had left the state I think twice in my life. You know, I went to Boston once, went on a family trip to Florida, and all you know is Sudbury, Brandon, Vermont, to suddenly be at Ithaca College, or and then at Cornell, which is just a completely different world in terms of uh, people's income, uh, their 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 backgrounds, where they're from, um, and Giuseppe. Always gave me a sense of confidence that, you know, you belong here. You actually do belong here.
0: Do you know what it was that specifically gave you that confidence? Is it the way he treated you or something he said to you? He would
1: say that you belong here, pal. You belong here. Mm. And, uh, you know, that was hard for me to understand for a while. Uh, But I eventually got it. When you did understand it, what was it to be understood? What what, what did you have to understand? Well, that people are just from different parts of the world, I guess. Uh, People are from different backgrounds and college can be a melting pot, I suppose.
0: Yeah. So it's actually something, there's a trend that I picked up on in these 600 interviews. And it's the power of of recognizing that somebody is good at something. And when you do recognize that they're good at something. You have to reinforce it. You have to let them know. And I think that's what, I think that's how we find our passion. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's an interest in doing the thing, but it's also the recognition of being good for the thing. And I think that's what gets us hooked on it. Mm -hmm. So if you have people that are good at what they do, working for you, reinforce that behavior, let them know, because they might not know it's relative for that person. Mm -hmm. They don't know how other people perceive how they're doing things. Mm -hmm. So very valuable stuff. there. do you want to reflect on that.
1: And there's a lot of people in this industry that are not used to being told that they do things well. Uh, a lot of restaurant jobs are introductory jobs or there are people that may be in the industry for a period of time and then may not. And they're probably not used to somebody just saying, hey, you know, you're pretty good at what you do.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of uh, managers too like to focus on the they, they reinforce or they, they correct the negative behavior. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's all they do. But they never reinforce the positive behavior, yeah. which is a much better approach to management. Uh, so any other key mentors, any other key experiences during your time at Cornell? I can think of one personally, but I'll see if you get there first.
1: You can think of one personally for uh, me? Yeah.
0: Like you said, I did a little research. Oh, at <laughs> Cornell? Yeah.
1: Well, who else did I have?
0: Remember any field trips?
1: Uh, yeah, Danielle Ballou. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I'm thinking. Yeah, of. I met him my junior year, and uh, uh, he was who he is. You know, he has a, a charisma about him um he's remarkably talented he presents very well uh i went up to him and said i want to work for you someday
0: did you realize the yeah. significance i mean this is going back maybe uh, i'm assuming i don't want to put a date on it yeah. but years oh, was, ago
1: yeah that was probably 96 or 07 so he had just the one restaurant then so He probably didn't have the same national acclaim acclaim that he has today. Well, no, but he had established Danielle in New York as like the restaurant, period. uh, Meaning period, um, you know, on the international scene, if you will, in New York City. It was a remarkable accomplishment for him. He had a lot of acclaim. He was the chef of Le Cirque and sort of uh, helped make Le Cirque what it is or what it was at the time anyway. So take us to that field trip.
0: Um, clearly, this left an impression on you yeah. because you said you wanted to work for him someday. Yeah. What was it about the experience that was so appealing and so drawing for you? Uh,
1: well, I'll tell you. Uh, first of all, again, a kid from Sudbury going to New- to Manhattan was odd. Uh, it was very odd. Um, we had uh, a lunch there, a long lunch. I remember eating food and just just, it was a whole new world. You know, you just don't understand what food can be until you see it. And now that we know it and we look, it's hard to look back in the rear view mirror and remember there was a time that I didn't know what foie gras was, or there was a time I didn't know what it it, it meant to put a tremendous amount of effort into what a plate looks like. Uh, but for me at that time, I'd never seen that before ever. Um, and Giuseppe Pizzotti said, if you're going to work for somebody, you, you need to work for this guy. And that. Do you was, know why he said that? Uh, well, he was at the top of his game. And, and Giuseppe had some other folks from Cornell that were working with him. And I think he knew that Danielle was about to um, you know, open another restaurant.
0: Was there one thing in particular that really made you want to... That, 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 that was the reason why you said, you know, Mr. Balut or Chef Ballou, I, I want to work for you.
1: Yeah, because Giuseppe told me to tell oh. him
0: <laughs> Hey, well, listen to your mentors, right? Yeah. He set you up for success. Yeah. So uh, he took you seriously because you Well, it was,
1: up- it was funny because I, I didn't hear anything from him. Uh, and then uh, that bled into... I got to get this right. Uh, then I did do a stage a couple of weeks over winter break at Le Cirque and met Sota Kuhn, who was the chef there, who I loved that man. Um, and somehow he liked me too. Um, and then I, uh, actually I worked there for a summer too. I did a stage there and then I went back and worked there for about two and a half months during a summer break, which means you just work. That's all you do is work. Who is this individual again? One more time. The name Sota Sotakun. Sotakun. He was the chef of Le Cirque at the time.
0: What was it that you, that you loved about this man? Like what, what, what characteristics drew you into him?
1: It, you know, it he had an ability. He was obviously a very talented cook. Um, but op- that was also during the opening, the reopening of Le Cirque, which is now in its third or fourth incarnation. But and you talk about a high-pressure restaurant opening, and Sota had an ability to just kind of take the pressure and let it ride right over his head and plow through. Hmm. Um, and he was a good cook. He cared. He cared for the staff. he He would take a moment and talk to you and... I was nothing there. I mean, I was nobody. Uh, But he knew my name and and tried to teach me stuff and took an interest.
0: I mean, there's a lot of little subtle things coming out of the story already. Just the power of taking the time to get to know the names of the people that are working for you. It might not seem like a big deal to you, but for that person that admires you and looks up to you, it could be a huge deal. Yeah, I'm awful at that. Right? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I could be better, too. I think we could all be better. But there is absolutely value there. I think the other real big nugget, too, is you know, what you got from your professor who said, go to work for this man. And there's one trend that I picked up uh, in these interviews. It's that success breeds success. Mm -hmm. So if you want to become successful, go work for those who are successful and you can learn so much Go
1: work for them. And it doesn't matter what the job is. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter if you're, if you want to be a chef someday, it doesn't matter if you are bussing tables at one of those restaurants or if you're a prep cook. The, the actual job doesn't matter. You just want to be in that environment.
0: You want to align your brand with these other brands, too. Yeah. And that whenever you can tie your brand to successful brands, mm-hmm. people will look past a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to do the work, but I mean, it doesn't hurt to, to, to align your brand. So mm-hmm. um, you graduate from Cornell, uh, yeah. you get an, an offer. To uh, head out to Hawaii. That doesn't yeah. go through. Take us through. No, that. it did go through. I, well, I did... was
1: about to accept it to okay. work at the four seasons in Hawaii, which, you know, maybe I should have taken it <laughs> But <laughs> in hindsight. No. Um, and then a letter came in the mail from Brett Trucy, who is a, was, is a still a mentor mm-hmm. of mine. Uh, Cornell guy uh, who I didn't really know at the time, but uh, that said, here's your title and here's your salary and here's your start date. And, I said, okay. I guess I'm doing that. So you get a letter from yeah. from Daniel Belude saying, yeah. "You asked yeah. for a job. Here it yeah. is." Yeah. Did he remember you?
0: Is that like how did that even happen? Did you? I'm did sure you Brett
1: linked it together. Oh, okay. So,
0: yeah, I got you. I got you. So, how long did it take you to make that decision to not take the the? Uh, right away. Right away. Yeah. Right. So, what yeah. was going through your mind when you got that letter?
1: Uh, how am I going to afford to do this? <laughs> right, live in New York City. Yeah. For. 24000 a year, I think. So how did you afford it? I uh, helped from mom and dad and worked and
0: didn't spend any money. Right. Uh, so take us, what was that, that first experience uh, yeah. being a part of this team? Take us through it. How did you start?
1: It was uh, exhilarating. It was stressful. It was uh, a, a great time in my life. Uh, it was a lot of work. Um, you know, the, the transitions were very steep very steep hills for me to climb, you know, again, moving from Vermont to Ithaca, New York, and then to New York city is, is a remarkable leap. Um, and then being in that kitchen environment, I was in the kitchen there first time in my life where Uh, you know, English was the third language in that restaurant, which was fascinating to me. It was French, you know, it was the, the, all the majority of the cooks were French, the, uh, a lot of Senegalese folks there. And then a lot of people from Dominican, Mexico, whatever. Um, so that was interesting. I really enjoyed that getting to meet people from different parts of the world, um, and again, just to kind of get a peek and see what that kind of food can be was just, it was, it was a foreign, it was, everything was foreign. Everything was foreign. I might as well have been in a foreign country doing something I had almost never done before.
0: What, what were you feeling during those first few days and weeks? Were you scared? End, like, take us through that. Scared. Like, how do you overcome it?
1: Uh, you just worked.
0: You just Show up, right? You just worked. It's like, uh, I feel like it's diving yeah. into a cold lake at first. It's like yeah. shock. Yeah. And then yeah. over time, over a few minutes, yeah. like you just acclimate. And before yeah. you know it, it's like, why was I scared? Like, I'm- Yeah,
1: totally. Once you get to know everybody and you realize everybody's great and you realize other people are scared too. Um, you know, it was high pressure. It yeah. It was high pressure.
0: I mean, I don't want to spend too much time here because we have so much to talk about with yeah. your own restaurants. But any key takeaways? Any How, how did this experience with uh, the Dynex group, uh, Daniel Balud's restaurants, really mold who you are today? What were the biggest takeaways you, you, you pull from that that part of your life?
1: Uh, don't ever let anybody outwork you. Um, ever. Um, understand to get a... To, to, to see what quality looks like. There's no substitute for that in this business. To see it. Um, and it's not something that you're going to find in every community in the country. Uh, you're just not so... You may not want to ultimately live in the fine dining world and that's fine, of course, but it's it's an interesting peak to get a look at it.
0: I think just the, the level of standard that's required to be able to operate at that world yeah. it, it must yeah. stick with you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: Um you said outworking, uh the yeah. the power of outworking people. How did you outwork people? Was there a a mindset you had or a mantra that like echoed in your head to be able to have that endurance or were you just built with work ethic?
1: I've never minded working a lot. I, it's never bothered me. Um, which is important in this industry. But, uh, you know, I, I, I did once I settled in there, I enjoyed it. I was, there were four of us that showed up there at six, six thirty in the morning. Uh, uh, Chepe Gomez, Guadalupe, uh, and the little French guy, Claude and me, that was it. We were there. We were the first ones there and we were receiving the orders and putting them away and prepping all the vegetables for the day. And then eventually Lupe trained me to, uh, do, you know, introductory butcher stuff and cleaning the fish, all the fish were received whole. So that was a process. And so your title was kitchen manager. That's how you yeah, said I mean, I was prep cook day one um, they brought me on clearly to, you know, kind of let me absorb the DNA of how things are done there. Let me get some experience in the kitchen experience with product to see if I would form a relationship with Alex Lee, who was the chef there, which I did. Um, and then, um, what with an eye toward me being the kitchen manager when they went through their transition. Okay. So any like
0: Tricks of the trade, uh, high level tricks of the trade, ordering maybe, or anything like that that you pull from this restaurant group.
1: (laughs) The purveyors will charge you as much as you let them. Uh, That's important to pay attention to. So, (laughs) in New York anyway. So, how do you pay attention to that? What systems do you use? Oh, we, you know, my job eventually became to uh, prepare the orders and then make a whole, you know, this was way back when everything was on the phone and just. Tell me your price, tell me your price, tell me your price, tell me your price, tell me your price. Okay, thank you. Here's your order.
0: Yeah, I think the other, I mean, what a lot of people but, do, they track the prices. Yeah. And they, and they have that, that track that, so they can Certainly see now, over time yeah. if, if it's changing. I know there's like software now you can even yeah, use to yeah. track it for you. Yeah. So um, how long were you at uh, Daniel Balud's restaurant? Well, so,
1: I worked there twice. That's um, right. Uh, well, what about the first thing? the first time i want to say two-ish years okay and that was during that whole transition from danielle the cafe blue to the new danielle okay why make the move to union square hospitality what was union it? square i i told danielle that i loved it and i wanted to get experience in the dining room and he said you can't do that here um but you should go do it and then you can come back if you want what was the reason for not being able to do it there? Uh, cause I'd never done it. Okay. Yeah. You can't hide dining room employees in that environment. Yeah. You know, you can train cooks and so mm-hmm. forth, but in the dining room, it's just so public.
0: Yeah. So you make that transition. What yeah. was that like? How would that process go? Uh,
1: that was pretty smooth. Um, you know, it was first time in my life had ever worn a suit, uh, ever, uh, had to wear a suit to work every day. Um, Enjoyed it. Definitely enjoyed it. Union Square Cafe was a very, very well-established restaurant at that point. Um, so it was easy to just kind of slip right in. Completely different work culture culture than Danielle. Not for better or worse, just different. Um, and that was an interesting time. That was when Danny Meyer was He was opening uh, Tabla and Eleven Madison Park at the same time then. And then shortly thereafter, uh, Blue Smoke. So he was kind of growing, you know, really growing and growing rapidly. So you mentioned um, that you wanted
0: to get that front of house experience. What was it that was like? Why why the front of house experience? What why did you have that desire?
1: Well, if if you wanted to, you know, at that time I didn't know where my career was going to go other than it was going to be in the restaurant business. But if you wanted to have a well-rounded resume, you needed to do that. Or if you wanted to be on track to be a F and B manager of a resort or something, you kind of had to have all those experiences.
0: I think it's good too, just to get that front of house and back of house experience for the sole purpose of being able to sympathize with the other side. Absolutely. Right. And having like understanding and knowing that it's not, no matter which side you're on, you can get in the weeds and it's hard. And when you yeah. have lived it both sides, yeah. it makes understanding so much I better. Agreed. So you said it was different. Um, yeah. the experience at union square hospitality, um, and, uh, Daniel Balu's restaurant group mm-hmm. or uh dinex restaurant group. Uh, yeah. what, I mean, obviously both groups are excellent, mm-hmm. but how are they different? And how did the, the differences work for each group?
1: Well, uh, Balu was, again, he was going from one restaurant to two, and he was doing everything under such a microscope. You know, the New York Times gave the new, I call it the new Danielle, three stars instead wow. of four, which was crushing. You know, I don't think he wanted to admit it, but it didn't go over well.
0: Imagine that. I mean, yeah. uh, to I think most people would admit that if they got three stars, they'd be thrilled. But because he went down from four to three, mm-hmm. but still, that I mean, I can't even imagine in my mind, like, mm-hmm. I think I'd be happy with either one of those, but I guess when you reach a certain level, it's hard to go the opposite direction.
1: Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, what he said that day was we're going to be the best three-star restaurant in the world and we're going to get to four. That's a great lesson right there. Sure. What's that lesson? What what did you pull from that? I'm not sure how honest he was being. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was trying to put a good face on it. That's a good point. But, um, you know, that was simple too. It was the size of the restaurant was close to double or more perhaps the quote unquote original Danielle and having to staff two restaurants instead of one. I mean, it's something I've been through too. It's, uh, it was, it it was challenging to create a four star restaurant environment out of the gate Mm. at that new restaurant where you're doing 300 dinners instead of 125 or 150. Uh, it's extraordinarily hard, high volume and fine dining. Don't, you know, they're like oil and vinegar. They don't match. He's since made it back to the four stars, right? Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. long did it take? I'm curious. You know, I don't I don't recall, honestly. I don't recall. Yeah. yeah so, there's a book, The Fourth Star, uh, which chronicles all that. I'll have to
0: check it out. Yeah. Um So what, how was uh, the Union Square Hospitality Group different? I think that at this point they had already scaled. No, they were about to scale. Okay. So what was different about it?
1: Um, different culture. Um, well, again, it, it was a different time. I mean, I, I know a little bit more about the culture of Dynex now. And I understand it to be a very different culture than it was when I worked there. I think when I worked there, there was just this singular focus on operations, operations, got to get four stars, it's got to be perfect, and we don't really have time to to, to play nice with you or hold your hand. We just, you need to come to work, you need to perform, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, Union Square Cafe was very different. It was this sort of flipped upside down pyramid of success where if as the owner, if you invest in the employee, the employee will invest in and your guests. And it was a lot of, you know, sitting down and with my manager and tell me how your day went and Hey, Jed, you're doing a great job, you know, all kinds of encouragement. It was just a a different environment. Denny Myers calls it enlightened hospitality. And I think
0: that the, the general business term is servant leadership where basically you take the hierarchy and like you, you can imagine that triangle and you flip it upside down. And instead of everybody working for you, you work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, what was it like living in that culture being a part of that type of uh, system?
1: It, it was, uh, it, it was great. It was great. And I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn. Again, I had never, you know, I would bust tables at the Brandon Inn, but I had never served. I had never bartended. I had never, I've done, I'd done very, very little of that in my life. You know, I think they just said, he's a nice guy, smart guy. Uh, we can make him a manager, you know, um and and they did and i i did a good job and all of that but um you know that there's something to learn there too it's Probably more so in the dining room, but you know we talk about it in our group of let's hire the person first, the skill set second. You can make good employees, and in a small market like Vermont, you need to make your own employees.
0: Yeah, and and especially Uh, in today's market where you have to the 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 pickings are slim, so you got to be willing to create. (laughs) Unemployment in Chittenden County is like less than two (laughs) percent. Great. everyone has a job. Oh man, so what are you're, you're dropping some key lessons on, yeah. on us. What were some of the other key lessons that, that really imprinted on you during your time with Union Square Hospitality Group? Uh,
1: how important every single guest is. Every single guest. And the that it's your job as an owner to represent the guest and to stand up for the guest. Uh, there's, there's often times where people may not want to do that. People may think that a guest is being... Um, Uh, you know, too demanding, let's say, or um, you may be doing something or serving something that you love, but the guest tells you they don't love it. And ultimately, you know, it is one of our sayings here too, that we, me, manager, owner, whoever, I don't make decisions in the restaurants. The guests make decisions in the restaurants. Our job is to listen. Mm. We dig our heels in on certain things, but Generally, we 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 try to be good listeners.
0: So, is there a point where the guest is wrong? Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when that happens? Like, when, where is that line, yeah. and how do you react to it?
1: Well, anything you, you have to be a little careful with um, with the one off comments, I suppose. Uh, if 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 it's about a certain dish or something, you know, you you always want to receive feedback and understand are they are they assessing it or are they expressing their personal preference, I guess? And there's a difference there. Um, and then, you know, and it happens. In fact, we're having a seminar on it soon in the group, um, guests that cross lines that they shouldn't cross with employees, uh, which is something that unfortunately happens in this business.
0: Yeah. So how do you handle that? When, when people, when the guest does cross the line and the yeah. guest is clearly in the wrong, Yeah. what's the best way to handle that gracefully?
1: Well, uh, you ask them to leave <laughs> in an extreme situation. But, yeah,
0: I, I think uh, yeah. in the past, I think a, yeah. a great way that it's been explained is that when a guest uh, puts the um, questions, the integrity of one of your employees or another guest, mm-hmm. that's the line. If that if that guest their harassment, yeah, if that guest is, is affecting the mood and bringing yes. everybody else down, then they yes. they're not worth that negative impact on the rest of. The team the guests Correct.
1: and it's very rare that it happens at our places, mm. but it does happen.
0: Burlington's a great community
1: ninety nine point <laughs> nine percent of our customers, first of all, the majority of them are repeats that come back, but it's all good people, yeah, it's all good people, helps. but you do you do occasionally have an issue so you're giving us a lot of great advice on
0: operations, service yeah. standards, what about business in general being a, around these business
1: men, what did you learn from them? I mean, I was operations focused there, um, whether it was being a purchaser, kitchen manager, writing schedules, whatever, uh, or dining room management, which is really just kind of being this observer and reacting and directing and so forth. But the business side, you know, I probably learned more than I thought I did at the time at Cornell. Um, And it's something I've had to learn uh, very, very quickly as I've become a business owner myself. Mm -hmm. and. I think I've done a pretty good Maybe job. Maybe
0: we can get into the details when yeah. we get to that point, but I you did end up going back to uh the Dynex group. Yeah. Was it the call the Dynex group no, at the, this Danielle, point? Danielle.
1: Yeah. Danielle. Yeah.
0: So, what was the the reason for that that opportunity I, that change? I
1: wanted to do it. I wanted yeah. to do it. Um I uh had met my now wife at the time. That's right. Uh Major D. Yeah. And I wasn't, we weren't sure if we wanted to be working in the same restaurant, I guess. And, you know, it, all, it kind of happened organically, but I did want to go back to Danielle at some point, And then the opportunity was just kind of there. Um, did you re-enter back of house
0: or front of house? Front of house. Okay. Yeah. So what was that like making that, that transition to that, that extreme level of four-star dining front of house? Yeah,
1: it was a great learning experience. Um, I won't say I enjoyed the job every day. Okay. Um, more. I love the people I worked with. Um, what I. <laughs> not to disparage, but, you know, that customer. That's a very. I mean, these. The people that are dining at this restaurant. Yeah.
0: Aren't like they're used to the best. They're used the to the best. Yeah. And
1: there's. There can be a sense of entitlement. And it just was not a group of people that I was used to interacting but, with. Do they even
0: enjoy it or appreciate the level yeah. of dining they're getting? Sure. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I have heard that, like, why would you want to go work and serve these people that are so entitled that they're having this incredible experience and it's just another day for them? It's like it takes the magic away from Tuesday night, you know, (laughs)
1: drop 800 bucks on dinner for two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how long
0: before coming back to or heading? Yeah, because originally from Vermont, coming back to Vermont.
1: I I only worked at Danielle the second time for about a year. My wife then fiance at the time we we were going to get married and we we knew we were going to move back or i was going to move back to vermont we were going to move to vermont okay uh we had picked a wedding date and everything so i kind of knew that my time at danielle wasn't going to be very long it was about a year
0: so can you time stamp when you came back to vermont uh, what year it was
1: yeah i based off september 11th so uh it must have been uh, the first part of 2012
0: okay so 2012 um mm-hmm. did you go straight into no, trying to 2012. look 2012, no, no, no 2002. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So I think you guys, it was 2010 open the farmhouse. Farmhouse. Yeah. So yeah, eight years elapsed from coming back. Uh, yeah, you, that's possible. W- what was your transition into the industry? When, when back, I, in Vermont? I knew
1: I wanted to be in Vermont. I knew I wanted to own a business someday in Vermont. Um, there's not a heck of a lot of jobs in Vermont. Uh, I, I took a job, with New England Culinary Institute, which I loved the people I worked with. I really did. Um, and I was sort of an operations guy. I was instructing a little bit, uh, for a couple of years and then, uh, connected with a guy named Jim Ryman, who's a lifelong friend of my father's who owned, uh, four at the time, I believe Italian restaurants in the area. And I kind of became his director of operations and worked for them for, for quite a while for, Oh, maybe five or six years. Yeah.
0: Any key lessons that are worth hovering over during this time before moving on to.
1: Yeah, that was the first time i had ever had like a director position where I had like multiple managers reporting to me, which is a it's just a different kind of job, a different kind of mindset. And that's probably where a lot of the organizational skills kicked in.
0: Give us some specific skills that you uh, that you source from that time of your life that you use to this day.
1: Um, how to push forward multiple things at one time. How do you you do that? Uh, you, you learn what you need to be focused on. You learn what you need to delegate, which is important. And you learn how to check in and make sure things are being moved forward.
0: So how do you decipher between what you need to work on and what you need to delegate?
1: I use the waterline analogy of if you're in a boat and, you know, you take some bullets above the waterline you're fine but if you take bullets below the waterline you're hurting so when it comes to things like quality management or how we treat employees you know those are all below the waterline things that as an owner you have to be involved in
0: so it's an idea of basically uh placing urgency yeah on certain items and prioritize prioritizing by urgency and yeah any and other variables that you would yeah,
1: demonstrate them? to others too what urgency means and if if, if it's something that you're demonstrating is incredibly important to you and you exhibit that and people see it, then good managers will react to that and try to help you solve problems.
0: Any other life skills that you developed during this time that are worth
1: sharing? Uh, Parenting. Parenting. Okay. (laughs) Worth getting into. (laughs) Yeah. We we were raising a family and all that. Yeah. Okay. Still are. So from what
0: I gathered, um, your wife, Mm -hmm. uh, Noel, she had been, before going to work in New York City, she was part of a pretty well-established restaurant group back home in Burlington, correct? No. Was no. It, she wasn't working for the Flatbread Company? I thought I saw that. Oh, sometime. well,
1: yeah. She uh, When we moved back here, she took a part-time gig. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, serving there, yeah. But so, she worked for the Fifth Group in Atlanta, uh, which I'm not going to remember the name of their restaurants, but uh, they, own, they own a variety of restaurants in the Atlanta area, very, very well-regarded restaurants.
0: So at what point did you start getting intentional about creating your own
1: business. I don't know. I mean, we had, I don't know. I mean, it's, I always felt like it, you know, there's plenty of people in Vermont doing it, and I've got a decent skill set. There's no reason I shouldn't be able to do it as well. All right, we're going to take
0: a quick break to thank our sponsors, and then I'm going to try to get after what the catalyst was that set this whole thing off. Yeah. So, Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Rebel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man, Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave to tell you why he loves Rebel. We have been working with Rebel for several years who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Rebel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Okay, so we're back, and I want to get after uh, the, the catalyst, the tipping point that set the ball in motion to starting your own business. So when did things start to come together?
1: Uh, I had met. Paul Saylor, uh, who was one of the, he was a brewer and, and one of the co-owners of American flatbread where my wife worked. Uh, we sort of shared a social network, I guess, uh, with kids and all that stuff. And, um, great guy. We got to know each other a little bit, kind of bounced this idea of this gastro pub, whatever, uh, it was going to be, uh, off each other, got comfortable with each other. And, um, agreed to do it
0: and i think i think it's worth giving a little bit of context here because i know uh the flatbread company um is kind of an institution yeah in, in vermont it's do you want to give a little backstory about yeah, i
1: i honestly don't know the ownership of that company that you're talking about but the original american flatbread was in Waitsfield. okay there still is okay and i honestly don't know the ownership of that but then their location here that paul was co-owner in uh, on St. Paul Street in Burlington is has become an institution in its own right. Yeah.
0: So, um, your wife's working for this yeah. restaurant group, um, and you become friendly with the owners of that restaurant group. Yeah. Okay. So, Paul take and I it... hung out a little bit. And... Okay. And th- so, take it from there.
1: Yeah, we got to know each other and um, started tossing around this idea for a gastropub. He was looking to uh, focus a little bit more on his beer at his restaurant, and he wanted to sort of export the. Taproom component, if you will, the the beer from others portion and, um, decided that we would go in business together.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, it seems pretty freaking obvious, uh, your story, people are going to invest in you when you become a person of value. And mm-hmm. up to this point, you've dedicated your entire adult life to food and beverage and hospitality mm-hmm. from Cornell to working in two of the best restaurant mm-hmm. groups in the nation. Mm-hmm. What knucklehead wouldn't invest in you? Like, well, it, a lot you, of knuckleheads. <laughs> well, well, the thing, like, if you're going to increase your odds, though, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. said, you set yourself up for yeses, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think you would have gotten this opportunity, if you didn't have that in your back pocket, that experience in your back pocket. No, of course not. Right. So take it from there. So he, he agrees that this is a good investment. How did that unroll? Like take it. Yeah. Then we
1: poked around for some locations. um, And then the, the rundown McDonald's uh, became available. And we thought, well, that's kind of a cool story.
0: I have to say, Uh, I I sat, we actually had dinner when we first got to Burlington at farm, um, at the farmhouse. Yeah. And, I would have never guessed that, that was a McDonald's. You guys it did was. an incredible yeah. job yeah. transforming yeah, that yeah, space. Yeah, we bootstrapped it, but, right? Yeah. So maybe that's something that w- worth getting into—the the yeah. importance of bootstrapping a project.
1: Well, we raised money, uh, and I—well, we bootstrapped it. But you know, that was a major undertaking. It was a gut job. Uh, we basically stripped it down to four walls and restarted. Uh, had to build the entire kitchen, build the entire bar. So, it so was, it, was it was a lot of money. Um, the approach was to raise money from the community and the community, I shouldn't say the community, but, uh, to have some advocate investors, I guess. And, and, um, and we did that. What so the, there's 20 ish investors that, that, that helped get it started.
0: I mean, I think that's, that's pretty impressive that you were yeah. able to, to raise that capital through 20 investors. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I think I saw the numbers someplace. How much was it was public in some article I read? What was the total amount you needed to raise to, to pull it up?
1: That restaurant, oh geez, I think it was 1.2 million. Yeah, I want to say 1.2 million. So, well, that was when we were all all in. Uh, Yeah, it could be close to that. Yeah, so which wouldn't get you much today.
0: What advice? I know, right? What what advice do you have for somebody who wants to crowdsource the the funds? Not not necessarily crowdsource as we know it as like Kickstarter, but. circa, you know, early 2000s crowdsourcing, getting multiple investors. Uh, What was your approach? What advice do you have for us? Uh,
1: Be realistic with your business plan. Uh, Be extraordinarily honest with people. Um, If you're having that conversation and you're having to sell it, you're doing something wrong. Mm. Um, If you have an idea and you actually believe in it uh, and you believe that you have the experience to execute it, then people should want to buy into it.
0: I think you make a great point. Selling is something we do. It's almost like manipulation, right? Yeah. But when we believe in something, you kind of remove that like trickery from the equation, and yeah. it just becomes adding value to someone else's life. Yes. When you believe that you have something of value, yeah, and that if you this is your opportunity to be a part of this, because yeah. believe me, I'm going to make this a good investment for you. But mm-hmm. there's a certain rawness and authenticity to believing that that mm-hmm. is makes it not selling anymore where you're actually believing you're going to add value to someone's mm-hmm. life. Um,
1: how did you know if you're being realistic with the projections and the numbers? How did you determine you're being realistic? Well, it's a small market and you kind of know what other people are doing for sales. And you figure this place is doing this, this place is doing this. And you know, if we're, if we're good, then we should be operating at that level.
0: Did you approach those places and straight out ask them what they're doing? How did you know what they were
1: doing? Yeah. Well, just, you know, I managed four of them or three of oh, them. That's a good point. Uh, so I knew that. Uh, there were some other mentors in the market that I talked to about what are realistic sales projections.
0: So I think the big takeaways, um, from that is if you believe in the -hmm. product, uh, the vision, the mission, you're not going to be selling, you're going to be adding value to people's lives Mm -hmm. and having a realistic, uh, maybe being a part of that market for an extended period of time to understand what realistic looks like.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anything else I'm missing?
1: No, you got it. Uh,
0: so you pull it off. What was it like during the early days?
1: Oh, it was hell. (laughs) Uh, get into it. Oh, we worked so much. Just work, work, work. Uh, You know, we were just bludgeoned with volume. I mean, just hammered with volume. Uh, The first night, we opened dinner only. Uh, The first night we were open, 5 o'clock, there was a line. Anybody that knows Burlington, there was a line from our front door, uh, east onto Bank Street, north, up Church Street, around the corner. By the time the people at the end of the line got to the front desk, they were told it's going to be an hour and a half wait because, you know, we just sat the whole dining room. And I remember just being so scared. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I mean, I'm sure the fact that it's just yeah. a small town, people were yeah. talking. Yeah. Like, they were. You're remodeling an old McDonald's. Yeah, totally. So people are yeah. knowing it. But I think I'm curious about when you have 20 investors plus, 20 plus investors. Yeah. You got to figure like. Anybody who's putting money into that's probably spreading the word, yeah. because they have a sense of ownership too. Sure, yeah, so, they did. <laughs> yeah, so is that a good thing or a bad thing?
1: That's a great thing. You, okay. you have advocates in the community, right? Absolutely. But they're they're your marketers. They're sure. they're your publicists. They're, your they're going best marketers. exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, do you think that was a major contributor, or Absolutely. was there, were there other other Absolutely. Barriers? Okay.
1: Absolutely, I think that was yeah.
0: So, two thousand ten farmhouse. Yeah. You're going for four years. Uh, Before you even think about adding a new location, right? And then... No, we opened
1: Cortijo. Oh, wait, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, we opened El Cortijo. Oh, jeez. When did we open it? Maybe 18 months after that. Okay. And then you opened
0: a total of, like... I want to say in four years, you you opened a total of four locations all at once? Is that what...
1: Well, we opened Cortijo. um, And then we opened Guild Tavern a year after that. Pascolo is... Six years old this May. So whatever that math is, a couple of years after that.
0: Actually, before we start talking about how you you scaled multiple yeah. concepts, what did, what were you doing right with the first uh, concept farmhouse that that enabled you, that gave you the the momentum to go on and open these other opportunities? Take or, us through or, the, the formula that you used and
1: why it was a success. Well, we had financial success, which makes things easier. Uh, we had brought in and groomed and created some great employees, which gave us confidence that we could do other things too. Um, and I think, you know, we had kind of found a little place in the hearts and minds of people in this community. So, financial success,
0: groomed employees, and you pulling at the string of the hearts of the people yeah, in the community. Yeah. Um, let's start with the financial success. What? what approaches did you use? What practices did you use? What books were you referencing? How did you set that up to be successful?
1: Uh, well, we just did a ton of volume (laughs) and eventually we had our, uh, eventually we, we got organized or I got organized and, and, um, sort of had the expense side of the business managed pretty well too.
0: Okay. And what about, uh, recruiting these employees do yeah. you have a practice were you going to like other restaurants and actually no. pulling or no
1: no no I think we were just uh you know this was nine years ago there wasn't a lot of restaurant activity in in Burlington Vermont at that time there really wasn't I mean if you look at the restaurant community nine years ago ten years ago look at it today it is leaps and bounds different it's totally different um so we were kind of like the only new thing that had happened in Burlington in quite some time. So we, we attracted a lot of great people. That makes sense. Yeah. And
0: then you, you also mentioned you were kind of pulling at this, the, the strings of the heart yeah. of your community. How did you do that? How did you appeal to the community? How did you bring well, we this? We turn a dump of a McDonald's <laughs> into a
1: farm to table gastropub. Yeah. But you
0: made it very focused on yeah. the community. The, the the, 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 I don't want to put words into your mouth. Go ahead.
1: Well, the, I, we're, we don't want. I don't want to take credit for anything, but I think we were the first sort of um, higher volume, if you will, restaurant that was uh, very much committed to uh, local food sourcing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 that, that was nothing new in Vermont by any stretch of the imagination in 2010, but it was sort of. It might be sort of limited to. Smaller fine dining establishments, inns, and things like that, and then yeah. here we are, this 120 seat gastropub with outdoor seating, and we're going to do burgers and comfort food. And by the way, we're going to source a heck of a lot of food uh, from farms, uh, farmers, and food producers here in Vermont. That that was that was kind of radical at the time. But I feel
0: like farm to table before 2010 was kind of uh, only available to like the the big spenders, right? And I, yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, would you classify a uh, farm table, um, sorry, farmhouse uh, as being hot, fine dining? It was more no. kind of, yeah, it was a casual. No, so you,
1: we, we wanted nothing more than to be, to take the, the, the pub, the, the burger and, and wing and salad place and um, put a little bit of a fine, finer touch on it and uh, source product locally. So I I kind of feel like you
0: you made uh, this this farm-to-table food available to the common man at a casual dining environment. Maybe. Um, But just existing to serve the farmers, uh, and Mm -hmm. even just your investors. In every point, there's so many touch points where you're serving your community. a lot of touch points, a lot of emails.
1: Yeah, I bet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So was that intentional? Was that kind of your your angle to, to... What were you thinking when you were developing this brand?
1: Uh, well, it was to start with a product that we could get here in Vermont and get largely year round. Uh, burgers are a great vehicle for that. Uh, consistent. There was still is much more so today, consistent supply of that product. And mm-hmm. there's always interesting cheeses you can put on it and produce seasonally that you can put on it. And that was really it.
0: So I, like if you're looking at prime costs, right, they say yeah. about 30% should be dedicated to sourcing your food. Um, when you're sourcing locally, that percentage bumps up a little bit more. So how did you make up for that additional expense <laughs> for the food? Did you volume <laughs> again? Volume, right? I guess if we do it. Well, you ever kind of Sa- problems. The,
1: the change bank commercial and Saturday night live. <laughs> no, I haven't. You, you know, all they do is make change and they ask, uh, how do you make money? Volume. <laughs> right. No, no.
0: Uh, so at what point did you say to yourself, okay, we got something here we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're humming. Um, yeah. we better act quick while we're, you know, we better scale while we still have this, what was going through your mind? What was your rationality for scale? Well, was
1: going through very organic. And I also knew that if I owned one restaurant, I was not probably not going to be able to achieve any kind of work home life balance. Mm. So I had to eventually scale. So it seems initially counterintuitive. Yeah. I want more time. Yeah. So I'm gonna open another
0: restaurant. Yeah. What was your your thought process there? Well,
1: again, we were we were successful. Um and uh just felt like if we had uh two or three outlets, that could probably put me in a position where I was able to hire the key people to oversee the restaurants daily.
0: So you needed the extra cash flow to be yeah. able to replace yourself, to hire the yeah. people. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um I mean, there's so much we can talk about Uh, and I feel like instead of trying to just go dig for it, I think I just want to ask you, like, what do you think makes sense from who you are and the success you've had? And if you can share anything with us that, you know, is a huge contributor to your success, just get after it.
1: Uh, Share it with us. Uh, uh, Work ethic, (laughs) (laughs) work, 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 work. I, I think I think I've gotten good at attracting and hiring and retaining good people. Um, you know, I pay a lot of attention to that. I know that, uh, the restaurant business is, is tough, you know, and the last thing restaurant managers or employees need is a, is an owner barking at them all the time. They just don't need that. Mm.
0: And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a little curious about this because I noticed that you, you kind of, you came off to like a a splash, right? Mm -hmm. And you accelerated really fast. And, uh, to four locations, and then you kind of took a break for a while. Before now, you're you're, you're expanding again. You're opening another mm-hmm. uh, Mex- uh, Mexican. Sorry, the name of the restaurant El succeeded. Cortillo Thank Taqueria, you. which means the farmhouse. And a new concept, yeah, um, which
1: we opened recently.
0: Blissbee, right? Yeah. So what what changed to get you motivated to
1: start expanding again? Um, we had a, a lot of people that needed promotions. You know, that was certainly part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn 't really have it. Um, the bliss thing was something I wanted to do forever uh, to create a just a super super casual yeah. restaurant meant for daily use, and that is hopefully replicable too mm-hmm. um, and um, you know there there was th- th- everything just felt right you know on the business side um, you know, boring stuff. But you know, we'd paid down a lot of debt. Uh, we had done a lot of good things for investors, so I felt like I was in a good spot to think about expanding a little further.
0: One other thing that I'm really curious about: you have the catering division, and then you also seem to have um, a spin off, like a, a like an arm to the catering yeah. division that focuses solely on delivery. Yeah are you trying to take advantage of what's happening in the industry right now with, with the, the increase of delivery? Are you tr- like, What was your thought process? The I'm- thought
1: process there was we started doing some catering, and um, uh, I kind of felt like if we're going to do this, then we're going to do it, or we're not going to do it. Okay. Because the last thing I want to do is you know screw it up. And at the same time, we had a very, very talented person, Lindsay Lighthammer, come to us who had been doing this and basically made a pitch that she wanted to do it for us. So we. Have- when you
0: say this, what do you mean? Catering. Okay. Catering, yeah. So you started the catering. Yeah. But then I noticed that there's the a- The offshoot provisions, same yeah.
1: thing. We needed to just get it organized. Okay. We needed to just get it organized. We started doing some office catering and realized right away, if you're going to be in that business, there's a certain expectation that people have. And it started to grow, so we figured we better we better create something here. We better create a little package of a brand. We better create a website. We better create a delivery way to do it properly. See,
0: so I think that's really interesting about that. Is so you had the full service catering arm of your business. Yeah. And then it's like the provisions is kind of like a finger of the arm. Yeah. Like it's a percentage yeah. of your, your channel of revenue. Your growing percentage. Right. So you're like, wow, we have this opportunity to focus on uh, office yeah. spaces and yeah. uh, the, the students. We have the University of Vermont right here. Yeah. So was it like the 80-20 rule where you're like, okay, like 80% of our revenue is coming from this 20% of office. Let's let's lean into that niche of our catering division to really promote this opportunity is that kind of the thought process the bulk there? of
1: catering is still summer catering large events large events in the summer but
0: so you rebranded to to dive to stand out in the market uh specifically with catering to to serve this niche of people mm-hmm. that's brilliant I think that's awesome sure any advice there or any you want to reflect on that before
1: uh, if you're going to get indicatoring, you're indicatoring, and you <laughs> better be staffed for it, which we are, okay. uh, and you better have somebody running it that really knows what they're doing. Gotcha. Yeah. So this which is we do.
0: this is where I ask <laughs> if there's anything that we haven't talked about that you want to bring to the table uh, that you think could add value to this conversation.
1: No, I mean it's right. been
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> it's been awesome. Uh, one last question, then we'll go to the speed round. Yeah. Uh, again, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Yeah. Let me ask you, how have you? transformed over the years who are you today versus the man you were when you got started
1: I'm older Uh, (laughs) I would say um, you know we have we have we operate in four towns we have seven or eight brands Uh, we have 40-ish salaried managers we have 225 employees Uh, it's I've had to become sort of a CEO type of person. And that's, that's an interesting transition for a restaurant operator at heart. Cause you're just used to doing everything yourself. You're used to identifying a problem and saying, I got to fix this. Um, versus trying to realize that your job is to just kind of help other people do their job and yes. provide support where, where it's needed and obviously make sure certain lines are drawn in the sand where they need to be. But ultimately, I see myself as a resource, I hope, uh, for the key managers that we have in the company.
0: Awesome. I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be back for a true speed round because Jed has a meeting. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurant tours, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have, hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at get slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. All right, we're back and we're going to make this a true speed round. Uh, so the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Uh, charisma.
0: <laughs> what is your biggest weakness?
1: Uh what is my biggest weakness? Um uh remembering people's names.
0: Right. Uh what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process?
1: Uh or, why why do you want to work here? What are you looking for? What's that?
0: What are you looking for? What kind of answer?
1: What am I looking when, for? When I, ask I that wanna question. hear that they wanna work for us.
0: What's one current challenge you're dealing with right now, your biggest challenge right now?
1: Um not a lot. Uh we're doing pretty well. Uh staffing could always use more good staff. How are you overcoming that? Constantly hiring and focusing a heck of a lot of attention on retaining employees. There you go. Yep. Yeah.
0: That's the secret right there. In my yeah. opinion, it's not getting new ones. It's keeping the ones you Absolutely. got. Absolutely. Share one code of conduct or behavior, core value. You teach your team.
1: Um, uh, don't ever let anybody at work. You,
0: what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is a way to go above and beyond the guest expectation.
1: Find one way to do something else for every guest that they're not expecting.
0: What is one thing you feel tours don't do well enough or often enough?
1: Uh, thank their employees personally. Oh,
0: I love it. And what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge impact on operations, communications, profitability, efficiency, anything along those lines?
1: Um, online ordering, <laughs> which one have you, which
0: service are you going with? Uh, you we're with
1: Toast. Toast.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be that you know to be true?
1: Um, owning a restaurant is an opportunity. Uh, and being successful in a restaurant business is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to provide opportunity to others. Here in Vermont, it's an opportunity to support uh, the rural nature of our state, to support the farming community in the state, and that's a conscious choice that some make and some don't. Uh, But you have that opportunity. You have the opportunity to make all sorts of decisions. You have an opportunity with success to do business a certain way, to do business with the people that you want to do business with, to work with people that you want to. You have an opportunity to make small decisions. Like if we're going to have a heck of a lot of, take out supplies at bliss B then they're all going to be compostable uh because we don't want to fill a landfill that's a choice you get to make
0: so is that all one thing that you'd leave behind or are those all opportunities like each end- was all I lost I lost count <laughs> I'll take it we, yeah. we can take that and this yeah. has been a great conversation cool. yeah I've really enjoyed it we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out so who's one independent restaurant operator somebody you truly respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made
1: for us today um hmm I don't know. Who would I talk to? Um, I would talk to Frank Pace.
0: Frank Pace. Look yeah. out. I'm coming after yeah. you. Okay. I'd love to get you on the show. And yeah. uh, let the folks at home know if we want to learn more about the Farmhouse Group, what's the best way to connect or follow your work or maybe yeah, join te- te- your team. Yeah, text me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you sure you want to do that?
1: <laughs> farmhousegroup.com.
0: All right. Yeah. Sounds good. And then this is episode uh, 600 and. 27 I believe so head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 627 i'll have a summary of today's discussion over there as well as any links to tools services recommended and uh, how to connect with jed uh, again thank you so much for taking the time to share your story there is no questioning you are unstoppable
1: <laughs> thank you
0: cheers thank you cheers